All right, so let me get into your message because now that we have more uh, folks that are wanting to rotate and preach, and, and I'm excited for that. We have Ryan and Devin, and, and uh, we're still trying to talk Andrew, I think, into it. And, and so we have Nathan and then Vincent uh, sometimes. So it's uh, a little more sporadic when I come. And I've been on a, a small series on the seven deadly sins. And, you know, I like to talk more about um, virtuous traits and positive things, but uh, I really feel like it's important. I want to cover these important truths because um, when we talk about the seven deadly sins, they truly are. They're, they're a, a sin that left undealt um, with brings destruction, literally can bring, can bring death, can bring destruction to someone's life. And so we're, we're looking at pride and envy, anger, wrath, slothfulness or laziness, uh, greed, gluttony, and lust. And I jokingly told you I'm leaving gluttony for the last because I'm saving my conviction for the very end. What we had Taco Bell, what was that, day before yesterday? And I don't know what happened. I ordered everybody's food. I was ordering for quite a few. And I got it all out the door and drink carriers stacked too high out the door in the truck and got it back without spilling anything. And I'm passing out everybody's food. And I get down to the end and I have like eight things. Like I'm telling you, like eight tacos of different kinds i was like did i really order all that for myself i don't know what happened but i ate it all and then i felt really bad after <laughs> and i felt i felt guilty i have eaten the 12 taco deal before by myself but that's i don't do that anymore anybody remember taco tico they used to have like a taco special and there's like 10 tacos Devin smiled with me he's like oh he's like amateur <laughs> that's what he's thinking ryan's like i can eat 10 times as much as all of you Twice, twice as much. Well, we're, we're talking about slothfulness. You know, this is, this is a little bit um, strange in a way, really, for me to preach on this, because if anything I feel convicted of, everybody keeps telling me, you know, to slow down or not, you know, do too much and all that. And, and so um, I, I honestly say this is one of the few sermons where I'm not, not feeling much conviction myself. I don't say that in a prideful way. I'm just saying that uh, um, I'm praying that one day I'll have to feel convicted about a little bit of slothfulness. Right? <laughs> right now it's a season. And there are times, now in my life I have had a problem with pra- procrastination, which is different than slothfulness. Procrastination is where you actually can stay busy. You stay busy with the wrong things instead of things you're supposed to do. <laughs> and so things pile up. If you went in my office right now and looked at the receipt pile and everything that I've got to organize still do the building project, um, that would show you that I still have some procrastination uh, problems. But... There are, there are realities I've mentioned each time about this list of deadly sins, that every sin on this list brings disorder and confusion and chaos in our lives, and they all deny the proper limits of things. I, I, I look at sometimes how we behave and, as Christians and look at the Word of God and think, do you think they ever, uh, that we overcomplicate things as Christians? Do you think sometimes we have family issues in our family and then we'll look at it and make it all this complicated and really it's just unattended sins or unaddressed sins? You, you know, if the premise is that sin is all that brings destruction and disorder in our lives, then then the, really what it is is there's enough pride there to just not want to admit we've got sin problem. Uh, or, or we'll put it on the other person. We have a difference between another person and we're the better Christian and it's them that's got the issue and as soon as they wake up to their problem then it'd be solved, right? And we see Jesus all the time hitting both sides, the Pharisees and the sinners, right? 
And, and so, so these can be deadly, and, and really it simplifies a lot of our problems in our families. And then it makes it easier for us to see when we're trying to reach out to a family in distress. Well, look, we've just got to pray and ask God for us to illuminate what the sin is, not to hold it over their head or beat them with it, but to pray them through that or help with God's word to help them see that. Because many times what the devil's doing, he's just blinding you to your sin. That's the whole reason why you can't get victory. You know, one thing I didn't share when we were worshiping tonight, I just kept feeling, I was like, somebody is going to have a breakthrough in this church very soon. Somebody's going to get their miracle. But I'm going to stop and tell you right now that what was in my heart is you're going to have to get over yourself enough to get off of the high horse and say, I'm no longer going to let anything stand in my way between really letting God tear me apart so he can build me back up. And he has been resounding that in my heart about someone over and over and over again. And, and I don't want to point the finger. I'm just saying, I don't know. But God is just dealing with me about that, that, that there is someone or some people, it might be more. I've seen in revivals where the preacher says there's someone here and it ends up being everybody, including him. You know, <laughs> And the preacher's laying out face first too, saying I, he was talking to me too. But, but I'm just going to tell you honestly, look, I, I am not some super spiritual. I don't have you know, the red phone to God any more than you have the red phone to God. But he does download things to me in some strange ways sometimes because of the role, not because of me. I, I, I can tell you for sure not because of me, you know, personally who I am, but because he has chosen for this time for me to be in this position. And, and I've seen other pastors that do, does the same thing. So take that for as much as you will let it be worth, but you're going to have to come to terms because here's what's going to happen. And this is where I'm going to talk straight to you, and I'm going to totally off the message for a minute. He's going to pull the rug completely out, of, out from under you. You're, you're toying with fire. You're going to keep going and keep going, holding the pride, thinking that you can just stand there and stand your ground, and then he's going to have to let something happen, like, like with others we see in Scripture, where everything gets pulled out from under you, and it's devastating. And only by the grace of God, if you can see at that moment that that's why that happened, will you finally let go. And that's so uncomfortable to do. I end up in the Navy over something like that, crying at night when all the other guys were asleep so they couldn't see the grown guy crying because I was like Jonah. I was not where I was supposed to be. And the rug had gotten pulled out of me. And I was talking to the youth about a little bit of this, not on the same topic, but I said, you know what the reality is? I went, think I was running to something that was going to be cool and fulfilling. And all of a sudden, the reality of my tough self that thought I could go and defend this country the reality of having bullets fly at me and could I really handle that and would I not take off running the other way? I started having those thoughts and it broke me and I said, you know what? I've got a lot of pride in thinking I am just got it all together and I'm putting on this front to everybody around me and it's about to get me in a hot situation where I'm going to be tested to see if I'm really made out of the stuff I think I'm made out of. And you don't really need to go there because God is the one who defines whether you've got the stuff that you need to be made of. But pride will take us so far, so does sin. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. But every sin on this list causes disorder. You know, pride denies the limit of authority. One of the biggest struggles for pastors in a church is because you love people, you're not trying to hold your thumb over them, but you want to see them progress, and God's showing you things that normally, if you're just sitting in the pew, he probably wouldn't because it's not your place, but, but yet you know that, that you've got to try to guide and, and lead that person that way, 
but you can just see already that they look at you as like, I, I know better than you. Or you haven't lived long enough. Or I've had many pastors before you and you're not going to tell me anything new. And, and that's hard. But pride denies the limit of authority. Envy denies the limit of what is appropriately mine. Wrath denies the limits of appropriate response. Sloth denies the limits of diligence and faithfulness. And, and, and since we're on that topic tonight, just think about this for a minute. Slothfulness denies the limits of diligence and faithfulness. And one of the biggest downfalls for the church today is when there's lack of faithfulness. If you're not faithful in all things before the Lord, it not only weakens the body, it handicaps the body. And it's an open door because we talked about the idle hands as devil worship workshop. And so it is the devil worship too. <laughs> idle hands can be devil worship because if you're not raising them to God, they're going to raise to something. We talked about that too. Gluttony denies the limits of consumption. Taco Bell. Lust denies the limits of relationship. But they ruin hope. Marriages are ruined because of lust. Even though you have the license and the authority by God to express yourself, uh, your love to each other in ways, um, that expression many times can become just lust and marriage after marriage um, struggles because of that. And it doesn't matter whether you're a pastor or who you are. Uh, you're not immune to lust and so you have to stay on the alert. But does it, despair is always the result of this list. It's what brings you into a church service where God's spirit is moving and things are happening and you know God's moving and still your face looks like death. It's despair. Depression, it, it, depression is, a, is a key component of this because depression is just the onset of chronic despair. It's because you've let, you've let things in your life become more important than giving all to God. I've had conversations with my kids. I'm sorry, kids. I try not to use you as too much. But if they come in and we've got on to them before service and we've had a spat before service. I don't say spat usually. I'm trying to be nice. If we've had, not fight, but spat. And, and they've got the stink face on. And worship's going on. And they're sitting here like this. If you ever see me sit down and lean over, I'll tell you exactly what I tell them. I say, this moment right now is not between you and me. It's between you and God. And if you let what happened between us, whether I'm right or you're right, get between you and God, then you've been robbed. Satan has robbed you this time with him. And then most time I see them stand and enter in. Because, because the fact, that's the truth of the fact of the matter, is we're going to leave that service and we're still going to deal with our relationship, but they only get so many times a week to be with the rest of the body. And that's why I don't understand about people that are hit and miss about worship. I mean, I understand work and things, but I mean, just choose to make other things important. You, you are playing with fire when you do that. You're playing with fire. I can't imagine if I didn't have, I have it easy in a way because, because of my responsibility, I have to be here, right? But I get to be here. That's really how I looked. I get to be here. We're excited. But, but it pushes me to be in the presence of God with other believers. And the New Testament church, it's been designed that way to protect us from these deadly sins. Because these deadly sins, usually to me, from what I see, are not the ones that just slowly creep. That, I mean, not that just all of a sudden hit you. They slowly creep in. It's the small decisions we make that lead there. So while you're missing church, all of a sudden it's that the lake becomes more important. Or, or this thing becomes more important, or that be, becomes more important, and then all of a sudden it's, it's pride over your things, or it's lust over the, the w things of the world. It's whatever, but you end up in these deadly sins because you've forsaken the, the strengthening 
mechanism, if you will, organism that God has provided for you, that is designed for you. Think of, so we think of times of our lives when we were walking tight with God, when, when your prayer life was in order, when your, your Bible reading was disciplined, when you witnessed your faith to, and attended church regularly. And we think, weren't we happy then? And this is the example. These deadly sins rob you of that drive to get closer to God, that structure that he brings. I've been watching uh, videos or pictures of Ken riding his bike, and he's been doing good on his health journey and so does uh jen and others been doing good on their um discipline and their eating and everything and this is what i've learned in my life and it's a god principle I, um i'll share an embarrassing fact about me i did bodybuilding one time okay i, I know you'd never imagine it and you'll never see a picture of it i guarantee you that <laughs> has been taken care of uh it was an embarrassing time in my life um i could tell you my dad came for one of the events and i was up on a stage and i could see the crowd and it was dark and I see someone get up in the middle and I see them walking out and somebody says uh, somebody said something about that person leaving at a weird time I said oh that's my dad how do you know because I can tell by the walk (laughs) and I can know and so I've done some embarrassing things in my life that where I made I was prideful about you know trying to achieve nothing wrong with that if there's there's Christian bodybuilders out there I I don't know that you can decide whether there's anything wrong with that but I'll leave it there but but the 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 idea is that discipline though I used to embarrass my parents. They'd go over to a new family in the church, go to their house, and this was when I lived at home in high school, and I was into this, and I treated everything like a machine. I had my chicken soaked in distilled water to get all the salt out. It was baked, raw broccoli, things like that. It was just on a timeline. It was very, very essentials. It was not about pleasure. It was about the nutrients I needed to accomplish goals. And I would come to somebody's house who had prepared a meal for us with my Tupperware dishes, and Dad would complain the whole way. But... I think he, he never was afraid to set his foot down about anything, but I think he realized that in our family, one thing we'd done wrong is we had, um, we'd overeat and then you got to finish everything on your plate and those type of things that was contributing to weight problems in our family. So I, I, this was the oddity. I didn't have any example in my family do this. It was actually a 64-year-old man that still lives in our area. He's 80-something now, still training people. He competed in 1951, Mr. USA, and I was 17, working out at the Walton Fitness Center, listening to my Carmen Christian music, rocking out to the champion. Dun, dun, dun. You know that song? Dun, dun, dun. Kicking the devil, you know, in the teeth with my barbells, you know. Well, actually, I wasn't because I was pear-shaped right then, and I had the cable machine with no weight on it trying to just get the motion <laughs> right. That was, that was really where I was at. And I don't know why Ralph did it, because I was pear-shaped. There's some pictures you won't see either where my shirts didn't even cover my belly when I was 11 or 12. I mean, it was, yeah. So uh, my pastime was come home from school. There's no sports involved. Come home from school, get a big plate of chips and cheese and jalapenos. And, and that was my main staple, um, government cheese and jalapenos. So anyway, but, but he came over and said, hey, I'd like to put you on a program for bodybuilding. And I thought he was talking to somebody behind me. And I looked around. And no, he's talking to you. I didn't know this guy was so well-connected. Personal friends with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Has, uh, has run in circles with Mr. Universe. He escorted one. Jen and I went. We're dating to a bodybuilding competition. Just wild women. was in Springfield. Oh, it's because I was on church security at James River. And they actually, some guy connected with it asked us to help do security. I said, we're doing security for the bodybuilders. <laughs> <laughs> so we went. 
And there's Ralph. I hadn't seen him for a long time. And he's escorting uh, Lee Haney, who was the current uh, Mr. Universe at the time. So I didn't know he was that connected. He's trained uh, PGA pro golfers. Um, so he, he's, he's, he's a guy. I mean, at 64 years old, arms like this, his calves look like wooden blocks under his skin. Just amazing. So the whole point is, is Ralph knew how to take someone very undisciplined and get them disciplined. And I'm telling you, in a year and a half, I went like to 8% body fat. And, and I'll never forget, on a youth trip, on a van, I, I wore bigger, baggier clothes because I'd lost weight. And I had a jean jacket and Annette Ashmore that was in youth. We were, everybody's popping a muscle. And she, nobody really knew that I had been doing that and lost weight and the bigger clothes. And I did, and the guy was like, that's like a softball. And that attention right there, even though I wasn't interested in her, but that attention was like a drug. All of a sudden I realized this is powerful because I never, nobody ever gave me time of day nothing about anything, especially <laughs> my body as a young guy. <laughs> it, it, it was all of a sudden. And, and the thing is, is that the enemy will take something who God meant to bring discipline life because, I mean, I'm eating like a machine. I'm waking up without an alarm clock. Like I could think about what time to get up in the morning, the night before, and get up. No joke. It was that structured felt great just take off running not break a sweat it was awesome but the spiritual man says wait a minute remember back to the garden i kind of like the idea of the power better than i do the discipline i like the idea of me having control of this nice little tidbit that god has created of my ability to discipline my body my mind and come into complete line with what he really designed us to be and slothfulness will take you and say, yeah, discipline's nice when God brings a discipline, but why? Why do all that you have to do? Why not just rest all the time? Do whatever you want to do. Why don't you just take it easy? It was so hard when I transitioned from Walmart corporate office to pastoring because now I don't have a boss even though I was salary I didn't have time clock I was used to doing these longer hours and and uh, you know I was in that office for like 12 to 17 hours a day because I just was afraid I would lose handle on what I was supposed to do and we had a advisory team member at the time that he, he was a food scientist for Tyson and he'd say he'd say well a previous pastor is never in there and you're in there all the time like it was a good thing and then I started realizing that it's like well the previous pastor learned that he could get his sermons done better if he was off location you know and, and again, that little, oh, well, that's appreciated when I do the extra. It wasn't about getting the things done for God that need to get done. And what put in is about the appearance of looking like I was getting a lot of things done. The appearance was better. And so whether you're looking at slothfulness or you're looking at being a workaholic or, or whatever it is that, that Satan's getting a hold of you, it, it's about, again, like we talked about, it's about the motives of the heart not the action. So you can come in here and you can come to worship and it matters not that you're here for worship if your heart is not right in it. You can negate your whole experience here at New Song for years and years and years if you come with the wrong heart and wrong attitude because you'll gain nothing from it. And, and that's what happens with rock stars who have been blessed with a musical talent by God to use for his purpose when they use it against God. 
everything falls apart. And what I learned about discipline is that if I got my physical body disciplined, I tended to want to get my finances disciplined too. Oh, and then because of that structure and everything, I began to like how that looks. And so my room, when I lived at home, became cleaner and neater and organized. And, and then I found that, you know, I didn't show up to things right on time. I was there early. And, and the discipline falls because God is the creator of that discipline. God is the one who has made that good. It's us who takes and, and, and through sin lets it be skewed. The workaholism, it's, it's like we think and we're feeding ourselves thinking that we're doing something great and we're being a great provider for our family and we're being, you know, God's given us work and we're doing good. We're, we're making sure we don't err on slothfulness, right? We're working. But then what happens to the family when they don't get the time with you and they don't get that? We're, we're struggling now to just keep that balance all the time. Our, our family, I'm just being clear for you, this project, it's not a feel bad for us. There's, there's just no other way about it. This amount of, of, of stuff so we're talking real here that, you know, I understand the struggle. I understand the struggle. I've been on the tops of what I feel like discipline, and I've done it for the right reasons. I've also experienced doing it for the very wrong reasons. It's all the result of that. And I've experienced not having the discipline. So I think I've hit on every, every side. So I, I'm talking to you not just uh, authority of God's word, which is all you need, but also the fact that I have lived it. I'm going to tell you that, that the first three of these sins, pride, envy, and anger, are competitive love. Pride is being competitive with another. Envy also is a competitive one. Anger is competitive because you're right, they're wrong. But slothfulness and greed and gluttony and lust are love uncontrolled. Slothfulness becomes a love uncontrolled of just loving your time more than you love others and using your time for others or for greater purpose, or for God's purpose. And those last three are defective because of excess. It's because you've let what God intended to be disciplined and a certain amount of rest. You know, we're supposed to take at least one day of rest a week. That doesn't mean you only can take one day of rest, but you're supposed to take at least one day of rest. Some people take that far as like, you know, I need four or five Sabbaths, actually. And you know... Um, I'll talk clearly to one thing that we know in our culture. And, and please, I know we have people in our, in our church who, who have had, uh, through physical difficulties, have had uh, to utilize what we pay tax dollars, make sure that people who have trouble being able to work can do disability. But we know from statistics in the United States that that is taken uh, advantage of all the time. And it's from a spirit of slothfulness. It's like, I know everybody else has work. I know it hurts everybody else, but, but, but I, my, my situation is special. We've known, we've known people who have worked hard and got injured on the job, and they could no longer work, and that is exactly what that's for. We've known, we've known people in our lives who they say we can't work or do a job, but they could sure do a lot of things they say they can't do when they're, when they're on their own and have all the time to do it. I always think of a guy in my dad's church who, uh, I've talked about this before, with minister's taxes, it, they treat as uh, self-employed. They actually use a lot of farm tax law. You know, it's weird how they do that. But the home, we get housing allowance and things like that. But whether my, my dad didn't have a good tax person 
or whatever the situation, it seemed like he always had to pay in unexpectedly at the end. And there's always something being sold to cover his taxes at the end of the year. Um, you know, he, he was last pastor, it was 19 years, never a raise because the church, you know, some churches, that's if it didn't grow to the point, they couldn't. So he was on meager income. And there was a gentleman in that church who, um, who was in that situation where he said he was on disability, he couldn't work. But the guy could go out and swing an axe and split wood so he could burn wood at his place. He could go out to the lake official day. He could go walk through the woods and do trail. I mean, you could do all this stuff, but yet was disabled. And, and, and uh, not saying something we don't know. I mean, it was obvious. He was taking advantage. Well, well, just point blank, he was lying to take advantage. And the thing with that is, is this is a, a man who is attending a church and saying, I want to be a follower of Christ and openly and knowingly living a lie. Oh, Pastor CJ, better be careful. I mean, he might have certain limitations. Have you ever swung an axe and chopped wood or taken a long hike up hills in the woods? I'm, I'm just telling you that, that here's something that is a trap that the enemy is using for many in our, in our culture to keep them enslaved because if the devil can get them into the slothful nature of I, I, I'm unable to do this because I don't want to do this. And again, it's, this is one of those things that I'm preach on because you've got the legitimate. It's like I talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit where I used to not believe in it until the Lord said, hey, just because you've uh, experienced a counterfeit doesn't mean the real devil doesn't exist. And the same thing with disability. Just because there's people counterfeiting doesn't mean that there's not people that truly need that. So I want you to hear that because I don't want anybody, I don't want to get emails or anything later saying, you know, you're, you're too harsh. It, it's something I've experienced. It grates me wrong because, not because I disdain that person, because I got plenty of sin that I battle, but it bothers me that we are so cautious about it that nobody will ever confront it and they'll go live in a life of a lie. And because of that, they're in bondage and sin. And then they can't figure out why they can never get victory in their life. Or why they're never baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking tongues. Why they're, why they're never totally set free of some addictions or things like that. Because they've chosen to draw a line in the sand and say, I will never admit to this because of what I would have to give up. And, and that's the dangerous slothfulness because it's like a drug. It's an excess. It's like I said, it's an excess of love. Becoming a lover of having the freedom that others don't have. Looking at work as something that is enslaving instead of what God intended it to be, to be something of productive and to bring uh, fullness to our lives. Hebrews 6, 1-12 says, Therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ. Again, it's Hebrews 6, chapter 6, the first 12 verses. Therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from, from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instructions about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of dead, and the eternal judgment. Verse 3, And God permitting, we will, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. 
Now, this is crushing to my spirit when you think about this. Because if someone is living a lie, whether it's slothfulness or, or greed or envy or whatever, if they're living a lie, if they're allowing the sin to control them, what, what they will never want to admit to and what we would never want to pin on them, but what the Scripture says, those who have tasted the goodness of God, and all the, but they are literally crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting, subjecting Him to public disgrace. Because when we sin, who do we hurt? The Lord, us, and others. Everybody gets hurt. Verse 7, the land, the land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But the land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Verse 9, even though we speak like this, dear friends, listen to this. This is where if it's bringing a, if it's bringing a pull in your heart, like it feels like it's pulling you down, listen to this because the word always brings us back to hope. We're confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Matthew 25, 26-29 his master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to one who has the ten talents. And this is what I was referring to early on before the message is that this is, this is the justice of God. Grace and mercy first. Love always. But in that love, like a good heavenly father, the rug getting pulled out. Finally, he says, if this is how you are to, to treat my, my responsibility that I've given you, then I'm going to pull the talents from you and I'll give it to another who will do something with it. Slothfulness is not just lazy, it's unproductive. Romans 12, 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Hebrews 12, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith um, and patience has been promised. Uh, sloth, slothfulness is most often used, or is often described as inactivity or the opposite of activity. But in Hebrews, it's contrasted as the opposite of faith and patience. So in our humanness, we'll think of someone as slothful and we'll say, well, they're just, that's because they're inactive. Or lazy. But what scripture is saying, slothfulness, it's a much deeper spiritual issue. It's actually the opposite of faith and patience. Imitate those who are not slothful but have faith and patience. Proverbs mentions it directly at least 11 times. Listen to this. I'm going to run through these quickly. Proverbs uh, chapter 6, 4 through 5. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Talking about debt. So if you get yourself enslaved in debt, this is, this is what you're to do. Proverbs 12, 24. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. Proverbs 12, 27. The lazy man does not ro uh, roast his game, but the diligent man prizes his possessions. 
Proverbs 15, 19, The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Proverbs 18, 9, One who is slack in his work is brother to the one who destroys. Who is it referring, who is it likening that person to like the one who destroys? Proverbs 19.15, laziness brings on deep sleep and the shift, shiftless man goes hungry. Proverbs 19.24, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. Proverbs 21.25, the, slugger the sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Proverbs 22.13, the sluggard says, there is a lion outside or... I will be murdered in the streets. Proverbs 24, 30, uh, 24, 30 through 34. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Proverbs 26, 13 through 16. Let me, let me stop there on the last one. Uh, this is something else that a life lesson I've watched and observed as we've walked journeys with many um, through different churches and different families that um, many times, uh, <clears throat> well, I'm going to step on it. You've heard the, the term positive confession or name it and claim it. And we had a church split in Nebraska over that. My dad stood strong against it and it came. And it was, you know, God said I had, could have this Cadillac. I went and signed for it and I couldn't pay for it. And so there a lot of people went broke. A lot of people who end up coming back sheepishly. Some never came back. But that, that, that heresy had taken root. And what they'd done is taken what God had meant for us to be positive in our words because life and death comes from the tongue and those things and make it about stuff. Make it about wealth. Make it about ownership. And it doesn't preach in Africa. You know, it doesn't preach in the villages of Africa where they're worshiping God and have fullness of him, but yet they, they don't have their Cadillac. And so what my dad's always says, if you can't preach it in every corner of the world, it's not the true gospel. Put it to the test. It, it may feel great in our, in our first world country and in our lives, but try to go preach it there and do it with a serious face with all your sincerity of your heart while those swollen bellies and those eyes who are hungry or looking at you, but they love Jesus. And poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. And, and this is what I will say. As many times what we tie the blessings of God to is about maybe what we say or, or um, about whether we're doing all the right things. But truly, God blesses us through the work of our hands and the ability he's given us to produce. Cain and Abel, the big issue is Abel brought the best. He brought the best. He worked hard and he's willing to give it back to God. And he's willing to work hard again and bring it back to God. And, and it's real great to preach a message where you get to keep stuff and have a lot of stuff and it's God's blessing and you get to show, look how God's blessed me. It's another thing when God says, give it all and have nothing after that and will you still worship me? Proverbs 26, 13 through 16, the slugger says, there's a lion on the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. The slugger buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. The slugger is wiser in his own eyes than seven men 
who answer discreetly. And that's the problem, is it's really hard to bring correction to a sluggard. They don't want to listen. Their risk is too great. They, they've got the drug, they've tasted the drug of being able to do whatever they want, whenever they want, without any accountability to that. And it'd be ever hard, it'd be ever hard to ever convince them otherwise. Ecclesiastes 10.18, If a man is lazy, the rafters sag. If his hands are idle, the house leaks. The Bible has a lot to say about this subject, doesn't it? I mean, you read this, and it's not exactly like I told you in the beginning. I'd much rather preach on the fruits of the Spirit or something else, but it's in there. And the Word says it's all good for the correction, the reproof, and, and so on. So quickly, as we close, there's three points about slothfulness I want to give you. I'm getting a habit of giving you the points at the very end of the message. That's okay. Sloth, slothfulness is the tendency to care about nothing. Slothfulness is a tendency to care about nothing, but I'll tell you, I'm not going to try to uh, to change that. That, but I will say that I that those I've known who have been um, affected by slothfulness have been uh, deep in sin of slothfulness. Is actually they don't care about nothing when it's outside of what they care about. In other words, uh, they can tie themselves up a lot with their own things but they're slothful when it comes to doing what the Lord, being good with what the Lord's given them. So it, it robs life of meaning and value. You know, work was never a part of the fall of man. In other words, uh, Adam and Eve, when, when the fall of man come, it wasn't that, oh, now you're going to work. What was it? Work was going to be hard. We had a sweat of brow. It, that's why I've said new heaven and new earth. Why do we need a new earth? Because God never intended us to be so much different from what we are now. We will want to be productive, and he will give us things to do. He has created us to be productive beings. He's created us to work and to, and to produce and to do things. And you don't go and, and multiply in the earth. That, that's the character and nature of God. He is a creator God, and he has made us to want to create and to invent and to build and to construct and to produce. And so the sin is what makes it feel hard. And once you start ridding the sin of your life, all of a sudden things don't seem so hard. I, I, look, I'm not tooting a, a horn here. I'm just telling you, I'm learning too. I think back to being on that roof, which you've heard a lot about, because it was three and a half months of my life. I can't get back. Right? <laughs> but you know what? I Many times I looked up at that thing. I was like, I just don't want to get up there today. My knees hurt. Everything hurts. I don't want to do this. And I stand there and look at it. It's like, Nobody would fault me if I just turn around. I've been up there enough. Nobody would fault me. Just go home. And next thing you know, my hands will be on the ladder. Because I prayed that morning, God, give me strength. Help me get it done. It was a prayer. It was connecting with God. And when I connect with God, the discipline and all that comes. In my moment of need, when I feel weak and I want to think work is hard and when I want to make excuses why I can't do this and I can't do that. Listen, excuses about not doing is as much as a drug as anything. And if you let yourself get in the habit of making excuses to everybody why you can't ever do anything, it will, it will taste so sweet you'll never want to give it up. Just like in our house, we love brownies with icing on it. We love that when it's hot with vanilla bean ice cream. We have a box of brownies in the cupboard, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and, and we love those things. And, and you know what? We've, every once in a while we'll say, we've got to stop this. Every, now it's every night. Now we think after dinner we have to have something sweet. It becomes a habit. We think we have to have it. Oh, it was only a couple of dollars in a box. Yeah, it's cost me a lot more on my insurance too. 
So slothfulness has a tendency to care about nothing. Number two, slothfulness has is pointlessness. It's pointless. And here's why it will grade, this is what will be the barrier between people who are dabbling in slothfulness and the rest of society. They will always feel a separation. Because those who are productive and, and fulfilling what God has called them to do to be productive will have a hard time relating with them. It's two different worlds. It's two different worlds. What did you do today? I watched The Price is Right. I watched, uh, what's a whammy game show? I watched As the World Turns Over Dead. I watched, you know, what did you do today? Well, let's see. You know, I, I, I built the shed. I did this. I did that. You know, it's just, you, it's two different worlds. They, they are caught up in what they cannot do and what they won't do. And the other person is caught up in what they can get the energy and all to accomplish. And so it's a divider. And it can be a divider in families. It can be a divider in the body of Christ. It's a divider. And so, thirdly, slothfulness and sin. Slothfulness is idolatry. It's the worship of self-ease. Pride rejoices in Jesus' death. Wrath drives in the nails. But slothfulness is bored with the resurrection. You can talk a good talk about the resurrection. But when you don't fully understand what it is to sacrifice and to give everything you've got into anything... It just doesn't compute. I think about those uh, in our RVers who travel all over, giving up the retirement, really. They give up the retirement. But what is retirement? You know, I think about Brother Bill. I mean, he has every right after working decades, providing for his family. It is culturally acceptable, biblically, biblically acceptable, for him to kick back in the easy chair and enjoy things a little bit. The sweet tea, right? The remote, the good comfy socks, the air just right. <laughs> Bill's not going to do anything in New Beginnings tomorrow. <laughs> By the time I get done talking, he's, <laughs> he's going to stay home. But you know what? I go out there, drop off a trailer, and what's he doing in the hot sun? Out there watering those shrubs, New Beginnings, taking care of it. I say, hey, Bill, do you, can you help me water some things over there? He's like, yeah, i got to take care of New Beginnings. He has every right to do that. See, retirement is not about what, what you can't do. It's about doing what you want to be able to do. And so slothfulness, I want to just close on that point with this so that you don't get the wrong idea. Slothfulness is not retirement. It's it's not because I don't have a job. It again goes back to the matters of the heart. You know, we fuss at my dad. Quit the brush hogging. You know, wearing yourself out. And then other people say, you know what, you tell him to stop and his health is going to get worse because when you get older, if you don't stay active. You know, there, there are things in the way God has designed our bodies because now they are terminal. Now they are, you know, we're only afforded so many years that truly slothfulness can kill you off earlier. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of, of why am I not doing anything? And so this is how I want us to close is just ask the Lord to examine our hearts. I have worked alongside, I think, about almost everyone in here. And if I haven't, it's just because we haven't got to know each other very long. But I've worked alongside in some capacity, whether physical labor or on a project of the church. I, I, can't, see, I can't see anybody in here other than visitors. And you're, you're exempt because you guys are visiting. 
But everybody else, we've worked in some capacity. Even some of them that are new, Devin and Ryan, we've already worked for the kingdom. And so I know I might be preaching to the choir and slothfulness, but here's the thing, is you need to also be able to keep the enemy away, know how to recognize these sins and how they come and how they slip in, and then also for others you're ministering to, know how to lovingly and compassionately guide them with God's Word. And there's been only one occasion that I can remember since God's ever given me any ministry responsibility where he put on my heart, I had to just come out and tell him, you need to quit this. And I thought it'd be war. You know what? Those folks are still friends today. Because I didn't come at them like I'm trying to judge them and tell them that they're terrible. I came at them saying, look, I want you to have life and life more abundantly because that's what Jesus wants for us. That's what he's doing for me. And, and what God has shown me is until you get through this wanting to everybody take care of you and not do, do for others and do for yourself, until you get over that, you're going to be robbed of the fullness of the blessings that God has for you. You've got to have that breakthrough. And you know what? It's, it's gone great. And so here, here's what I ask. Let's pray and ask God. Examine our hearts because we don't want to be prideful. Tell me if I have any slothfulness. I can't see a person in here that I, you know, that I would see that. But tell me. And then God, help me when I encounter this to treat it like any other sin that I can minister to those people and not be afraid of it because of the culture and, and being scared of being politically correct and not being you know, harmful to somebody. But let the Lord lead and guide us to help people in being freed. Jesus, I come to you right now and we stand in agreement, Lord, that you examine our hearts and Lord, as busy as this year has been for me, I, I can think of times when I would say that I was tempted to be slothful. I was tempted to be slothful. And Lord, that I, it's just as easy for me to slip into that as anyone else. God, I pray you protect our hearts from the enemy's attempt to, to bring that. That God, we would, we would fight the good fight in everything that you put before us. Whether it's physical work or spiritual work, whether it's evangelism, whatever it is, that we wouldn't make excuses and look for the way out and, and be addicted to the sweet taste of doing nothing. And Jesus, help us to minister to those who are, who are enslaved by slothfulness. Help us to be able to speak the truth in love by your Holy Spirit's guidance. Let us not step out of that, Lord, so that we would gain a brother or gain a sister and that they would be freed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys, and um, we'll get through this series. And and I, I am leaving Gluttony for last. I'm not kidding. So we'll get to that eventually. And I may have somebody else preach it, and I may just stay at the altar the whole time. <laughs> but love you. Fellowship as long as you want. If you go, uh, just be careful going home, and we'll see you Sunday um, or out at the project. <laughs>